Put down that bowl of top ramen. Tell your mom, no seconds on the tuna casserole, please. Because today we're going to take a look at a story of a man who is so bent on revenge, he would feed his friends the unthinkable. And then we travel to Martha's Vineyard in Massachusetts, where a young boy is out playing among the sand dunes. Little does he know he's about to see something no modern human was ever meant to discover. Today on Dead Rabbit Radio. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Dead Rabbit Radio. I'm your host Jason Carpenter, I'm having a great day. I hope you guys are having a great day too, I hope you guys have some awesome plans for the weekend. It's pretty much much just playing a bunch of Killing Floor 2 for me, and doing research for even more episodes for next week. But, someone who can't wait till next week, walking into Dead Rabbit Command right now, is one of our longtime legacy Patreon supporters, give it up! For sweet, sweet golden goo. Woohoo, yeah, come on in, sticky sweet, from her head to her feet. Sweet, sweet golden goo, you're going to be our captain, our pilot this episode. If you guys can't support the Patreon, or if you guys aren't super tasty, that's fine too. Just help spread the word about the show, that really, really, really helps out a lot. Now, we got a lot of stuff to cover today, so let's go ahead and get started. Sweet, sweet golden goo, I'm going to go ahead and toss you the keys for the Dead Rabbit Dirgible. We're going to leave behind Dead Rabbit Command. Fly us all the way out to Quebec. Specifically, we're headed out to St. Anne de Bellevue in Quebec. And we're going to stop by McDonald College, not McDonald's University, which sounds delicious. This story is the opposite of that. It's the most repulsive story that you could possibly think of regarding food. And we've covered a lot of gross ones. We're at MacDonald College. It's January 1970. And we're walking around school and we're like in the school cafeteria and they're like handing out like muffins and jelly and like pancakes and stuff, I'm guessing. And we're eating those and into the cafeteria walks Eric Kranz. He's this 23-year-old student who is currently researching parasitology, the study of parasites. (laughs) We're in the middle of taking a bite of a pancake. I was like, yeah. This is, a, this is a tough one. Eric Krantz just loves to be around parasites. He's hanging around a bunch of people who borrow money and never give him any money back. He's like, ah, my people. He loves looking through microscopes at tiny little eggs, and he probably, like, feeds chickens to snakes and stuff like that. They're like, Eric, stop doing that. That's not a, the definition of a parasite. He's like, ah, it's just fun. Allegedly. I should, should mention very clearly right now, this is all alleged. Eric Krantz goes home. Now, he's currently sharing a home with four roommates. Now, they didn't get along. This part, this part isn't alleged. They did not get along. Eric Krantz and his roommates never saw eye to eye. And this all came to a head when one day they're like, hey, Eric, you owe us back rent. And Eric's like, listen, man, I'm trying to get the money together. <laughs> I already loaned my money off to a bunch of people. They're not paying me back. Parasitology has gone too far. They're like, Eric, you got to pay us the money. This is insane. This is insane. Actually, the thing we're going to get to is super insane. But this also blows my mind. He owed them $16.66 in back rent. Now, let's forget the whole 666 thing, because, you know, that's just creepy in and of itself. But they were ready to evict this dude, because he was short 
around $17. He was $17 short on his rent, and they're like, bro, pack your bags. You got to get out of here. Now, they didn't like the guy, right? So they were looking for any reason. But apparently, there was a lot of debate on this. I found this story online. It was posted by a guy named Delano1998. He's not, a, he's not a participant in this story. Don't go after him. Don't try to seek some parasite justice yourself. He just posted this. And a lot of people were debating, wow, 17 bucks and he's getting kicked out. Apparently, in 1970, Canadian money, that was close to about $130. So, yeah, I could see if someone's behind $130 and you didn't like them. You want to get rid of them. So they're like, Eric, you got to pay the money. You got to pay the money. You owe it to us. And he's like, oh, he's not picking up pennies. He's like, oh, now I just need 1,665 more and all my troubles are solved. He's getting so upset with these guys. Like, again, it seemed to be a long brewing thing. When they keep on him about paying the rent that he owes, he says, quote, this might be the most specific threat I've ever heard before. Normally it's like, I'll get you. One of these days I'll get you. And then you fly away in your car and Inspector Gadget's like, oh, save the day once again. This was his threat. He turned to his roommates. They said, where's the $16.66 you owe? He's like, ah. He said, quote, I'll put parasites in your food and you'll wake up dead. That is such a, that is such a specific threat. And it's coming from someone who could do it because he's studying parasitology. He has access to... He has access to parasites. If I made that threat to someone, you're like, Jason, you can you can barely pronounce the word. I doubt you can rummage up more than three or four parasites, which would still be too much to be in your food. But you're like, I'm not worried about Jason. And I'll be like, I'll get you, Gadget. They're like, my name's not Gadget. Just please give me the $17 you owe me and leave. I'm like, ah. He owes them money. He threatens, he threatens them by putting parasites in their food. What happens is January 31st rolls around and he comes into the house and he's like, hey, guys, I got big news. Here's $17. $17. And they're like, oh, yeah, we were expecting something better than that. But that's what you owe us. You, you, you had our hopes up when he said, you know, big news. But fine, we'll take the $17. He paid them the $17 and yet they evicted him anyways. What? Crumbums. All he did was threaten to put parasites in your food and you're evicting him? He paid the money. They evict him. But let bygones be bygones, right? It's the holiday spirit of Quebec because the first week of February, there's a thing called the Winter Carnival where people dress up like snowmen and they walk around and they just, everyone's going, ho, ho, ho. And people are like, what? You're dressed up like a snowman. Snowman doesn't say that. And they're like, ah, just, just go with it. It's, it's Canada. We do weird stuff up here. They have this thing called Winter Carnival where they just kind of dance around. <laughs> Actually, I, didn't, I didn't research that. I didn't research that at all. I just go, oh, Winter Carnival. And then I clicked on Wikipedia and it was like a picture. It was just a picture of a man in a snowman suit. So I go, ah, that's all the research I need to do on that. Just one photograph. So I don't know. It could be like some big religious festival. I could have pissed off a whole nation. Anyways, Winter Carnival. And Eric is like, you know what, guys? I was the crumb bum this time. I should have paid you that $17 when I owed it. So I have decided to serve you a feast. And he brings in all this food he prepared for Winter Carnival. Let's stop the story right here and 
I just this is a this isn't a choose your own adventure. This is not a logic. <laughs> this is not a logic question. It's not a word problem. If someone ever threatened to put parasites in your food, and then you evicted them, <laughs> and then they show back up a couple days later with food, would you eat it? But you know what? Maybe it's a holiday spirit. Maybe bygones be bygones, right? Old enemies become friends. <laughs> Old people who threaten to feed you parasites become people who don't do that. And he brought in all this food and you accept it as a good friend would, right? What type of friend would you be if you didn't eat the food of a maniac who threatened to poison you? So his roommates and apparently like Three other people. There was a total of seven people that got afflicted by what's about to happen. I think you guys can kind of figure it out at this point. But you can't. You have no idea what's coming up next. This is a true story. He brings in all this food. They eat it. They're like, oh, this is delicious. Om, nom, nom. They're like fighting over, they're fighting over the last roll. They're like, oh, man. Oh, oh, man. And Eric's probably just sitting there with a big old smile. <laughs> they realize. It's weird he didn't eat anything. He's like, oh, I had my winter festival dinner on the way over. Go ahead and gorge yourselves on this delicious food. About a week later, all of the roommates, all the four roommates get sick around the same time. But, you know, it's winter, right? Pneumonia's going around. People get sick. They're coughing. They're losing weight pretty rapidly, right? That's usually, <laughs> that's usually not a symptom of the flu. These four roommates start to develop a fever as well. They're sweating, coughing. They're all skinny, though. They're like, I don't know. Taking off the freshman 40? This is great. But then all four of them, and I'm, assu I'm assuming the other three people showed up for this party. <laughs> no idea about the cryptic threat that Eric made. They just showed up, but they don't play a lot into this later narrative. I'm sure they were also incredibly sick. But we know about these four roommates... Uh, cough, weight loss, fever, and then this is the most troubling of all, right? You can you can tank those other three, no problem. <laughs> like Jason, I don't know why you're so blasé about having a high temperature. They start to feel all four of them feel like they can't breathe. Now that's frightening. But on February twelfth, it goes to full on. They can't breathe. Like by February twelfth, they are actually having a hard time taking a deep breath. And they're breaking out in hives. So at this point, it's been like two weeks at this point. They go to the hospital and they get in there and they're in respiratory distress. The doctor's like, oh no, you guys should have been here a long time ago. You guys look terrible. But you've lost a lot of weight. You look like pretty slim guys. They take them in. The doctor, the attending physician brings them in and is treating them. And they start treating them for pneumonia, right? They're having trouble breathing. All this other stuff. So they start treating him for pneumonia and nothing is working. And he's like, doctor's like, oh man, I don't know what else to do. I did one thing. I tried one thing and it didn't work. Ah, you guys will be fine. Two of them end up in critical condition because they can't breathe. February 16th. <laughs> Dude is coughing into like a little tray, a little spit tray. And the nurse picks it up and she goes, oh, yes, <laughs> this is my favorite part of my job. I have a fetish for phlegm. She takes the tray of phlegm and they're looking at it. I'm sure, I don't know if they saw this with a naked eye. But what they discovered at this point, it's this, remember they ate the food on February 1st or the first week of February. It's February 16th now. They find a worm 
in the phlegm. And he's coughing up. A four millimeter long worm. I probably should have said how big it was first. You imagine a giant earthworm. You're like, nope. He shut off the podcast. You're like, I'm done. A four millimeter long worm just kind of squiggling around in his phlegm. The nurse goes, oh, I got to tell the doctor about this. And the doctor's looking at it. And he goes, wow. Who would have thought that this worm would be inside a human? What they found, what this worm was, was something known as the Ascaris sum. It's a roundworm found in pigs. It lives in pig intestines. It's a giant roundworm. They grow to be about 6 to 12 inches long. They live in pig intestines. And the doctor's like, you know, we've always had theories about these worms getting into humans, right? Because maybe, like, if you ate enough pork products, <laughs> you're eating so many hot dogs, you just start eating a live pig, and you're, like, sucking their intestines up like a string of spaghetti. And you ate all the eggs. So the doctor's like, but this is still weird. We don't even know if it's possible. If it is possible, it's incredibly rare. How did all these people eat pig intestines? <laughs> we didn't eat pig intestines, by the way. The patients are like, you know what? This is starting to make sense because our roommate worked at a parasitology lab. He threatened to put parasites in our food. And the doctor's like, okay, that makes a little more sense. They start to do all these tests on the people, on these four roommates, and they find the life cycle of this roundworm in these four dudes. What happens is there's microscopic eggs in their bloodstream that float out of the intestines into the bloodstream and then go into the lung. That's why they were having such trouble breathing. And part of the life cycle is, is you would cough up this larva because the egg hatches in your lungs. So now you got this little worm in you and then you would cough it up along with all the other phlegm and sputum, right? Apparently that's a thing. I think it's just a fancy word for phlegm, but I think it's like bloody phlegm. <laughs> like, Jason, please, please just quit giving the visuals. Um, they're coughing up these little worms, these little immature worms, and they climb up the trachea. And then you swallow them back down and they go back into your stomach where they become mature worms. Out of your intestines, into your blood, into your lungs, coughing out of your lungs, back into your stomach. The worm's journey is complete. So what they did was they go, we got we to gotta get rid of these worms, even though this is kind of cool scientifically. We got to get rid of the worms. The attending physicians started them on this treatment that's used to kill this type of parasite. Pretty much ends the infestation right there. But they had like, you figure, okay, Jason, they had a couple worms. <laughs> big deal, big deal. They have a couple worms in them. One of the dudes was full of at least, at least, they probably lost count after a certain point. He had at least 400,000 larvae, larvae inside of him. 400,000 wriggling little worms crawling through his body. He's all being tickled all the time. He's like, he, he, I didn't know it would be so fun. Trying to throw him up. One dude, it was just coming out of his bowel movements, right? Just worms. He's going poop. Bunch of worms are coming out. Which I would much rather be tickled by 400,000 worms than to have one worm come out of my butthole. The doctor said, this is real serious. He goes, one of these guys, one of these patients... He's going to have permanent lung damage. Like, these worms did such a number on him that he's going to have lung damage for the rest of his life. 
Eric, after the roommates and the friends started getting sick, he left Quebec. He ditched the place. He's like, I'm done. And once his scheme was undone, right, once they figured out what had happened, they actually set out an arrest warrant for attempted murder. On March 9th, 1970, he surrendered himself and they let him out on bail. They figured, you know, what's the worst you can, what's the worst this guy can do, the supervillain? He can just infest the world with parasites. They let him out on bail. June 1971 is when the trial took place. And the prosecution was like, what evidence, what possible evidence do you need? He worked at a parasitology lab. He had access to parasites. He threatened to give people parasites. People he didn't like had parasites. And here's a bunch of photos. X-rays of, like, them boogieing down in this dude's stomach. Case closed. Like, who else could possibly do this? Now, his defense lawyer said, Your Honor, parasites, schmerasites. <laughs> he totally flew off the whole thing. He goes, listen, sure, my client worked at a parasite lab, but... Who knows where they got these parasites? It turns out that their kitchen sink was constantly full of sewage for some reason. I know college life was hard, but that's what the defense lawyer said. And the other roommates were like, no, that's not true. That's not true. It's their eyes shift from side to side. They're like, okay, it's a little true. But there wasn't so there wasn't so much sewage in our sink that we got parasites. And the defense lawyer's like, mm-hmm. And then the defense lawyer goes, okay, well, maybe it's not the sewage theory. However, yes, my client did work at a parasitology lab. But this could have happened accidentally. You see, my client may have gotten some eggs on his clothes. Some microscopic eggs. You wouldn't even see him, right? He's walking around the lab in his blue jeans and his polo and a couple roundworm eggs end up all over his clothes. It happens to the best of us. And then his roommates, maybe when they were kicking him out, I don't know, maybe they were going through his clothes. Maybe they were packing his bags for him. Who am I to say? But it's possible that this guy who threatened to put eggs in people's food didn't actually do it. It was an accident from them handling his clothes. And Eric won the case. Eric was acquitted of this crime. He served no jail time for poisoning seven people. Sometimes I wrap up these true crime stories with some sort of lesson to be learned or some sort of look at the justice system and how corrupt it can be and how they can miss the mark. I don't know if there I don't know if there's anything like this. I think the moral of this story is if somebody ever threatens to poison you with parasites, do not eat their food. The fact that he got off is it should be shocking, but Canadian justice system is just awful. And this guy's still out there, right? He was 23 in 1970. So that would make him... You're like, oh, great, Jason's going to try to do math. Seven, this is how I do math. I go 70 plus 90 is 20. So then he'd be 43 in 1990. And then he'd be 53 in 2000. <laughs> this is really how I do math. See, this guy would be 75 years old now. He could still be out there. He could still be out there. He could be working at a local restaurant where you're at right now. If you're listening to this podcast, you're still eating your noodles. I told you not to. And then you look over and you see in the kitchen, there's a man standing there with a glimmer in his eye and a parasite coming out of his other eye. 
this guy's probably dead by now. This guy's messing around with parasites. This guy's constantly like juggling roundworm eggs. He probably infested himself at some point. But it's crazy, bizarre, true crime story and absolutely disgusting. And lesson or not, whether or not there's a moral to it, I just wanted to share it with you. Sweet, sweet golden goo. Grab that barf bag. Get it over with. And I'm going to toss you the keys to the carpenter copter. We're leaving behind Quebec. We're headed all the way out to Martha's Vineyard. The year is 2002. It's a beautiful summer and we're spending it in Martha's Vineyard. Martha's Vineyard in Massachusetts. Now, the story was posted online by someone going by the name You're Doing Great, Sweaty. I think they might have misspelled Sweetie. You're doing great, Sweaty. We're going to go ahead and call this dude Samuel. And he tells a story this actually happened back when he was between the ages of 8 and 10, back in the year 2002. And he goes, listen, I've never told this story before. I've never told it to anybody except for my parents, because they were there and they wanted answers. Back in 2002, Samuel's family, mom, dad, and him, took a vacation out to Martha's Vineyard. And he goes, listen, I was an excitable child. I was always running around and tugging on people's shirts and <laughs> picking their pockets. I was a regular Aladdin. I was constantly wanting to explore nature. And my parents were like, sure, Sam, go. Go away. Go away. Play in the bushes. Have fun. Somewhere far away from us. So they fed into his need to explore. So when they went to Martha's Vineyard, they're actually on the beach. He believes this is somewhere near the Menemesha Hills Beach. They're at the beach just having a good time. Everyone's at the beach having a good time. It's really hard to be depressed at the beach. I mean, maybe you just got stung by a jellyfish and you're watching somebody unzip their pants ready to pee on you. That's probably the most depressed you can be at the beach. But little Sam, he's running around. Woohoo! Yeah, this is so much fun. And he sees there's this tall series of rocks that some of the teens are climbing up and jumping off the rocks into the water. And he's like, wow, that looks fun. But even being a little eight-year-old, I know that's extremely dangerous. I want to go exploring instead of risking paralyzation. So he decides, I'm going to see what's on the other side of those rocks and just go for a little, little kid journey. So he goes over the rocks, he's kind of walking along, and he says, I'm probably about a half a mile at this point, a half a mile from where my parents and everyone else is. I'm kind of alone at this point. I see these huge sand dunes. Now, I actually looked, I couldn't find this exact location. I tried looking for this exact location on Google Earth, but I did. I was, was looking at this beach area, and it's interesting because you have beach, and then immediately, like, it's like sand, and then heavy greenery it's just like goes from straight beach to grass in california it was never like that like you had the beach they needed a bunch of rocks that you'd cut your feet on and then you had a bunch of paved stuff usually referred to as a parking lot and then you just had more kind of dusty mountains kind of rocky mountains and not the rocky mountains but you know and it was kind of laid out like that right it was a clear definition between the biomes but here it's not the case. It goes beach, then lush foliage. So he's climbing up these huge sand dunes. He says they're about 75 to 100 feet tall. That might be the exaggeration of an eight-year-old boy, right? Or to an eight-year-old, everything may seem that tall. But he's climbing these dunes, and he gets up on the top of one of these dunes, and he goes, I'm going to see if I can see my family. 
I'm gonna get to the top of this dune and I'm gonna see if I can see past the big rocks. And apparently I have the vision of a superhero. See if I can see my family way, way over there. See if I can pick out my parents from a half a mile away. Now he gets to the top of the hill and he can't really see anyone. He can't see his parents. He's pretty far away. But what he does see at the top of the sand dune, because again, it has this giant lump in the earth right next to it. Like it's literally like in the sand, they're like butting up against each other, are these huge bushes. And he turns and he looks and in one of the bushes is a cave. Now, not like the bush was on a mountain hiding a cave. He said it looked like someone actually cut a tunnel through a bush. He's sitting there and he's looking at it. He goes, that's pretty weird. I've never seen anything like this before. It looks like someone actually took the time to bore a passageway through this bush. And as a young adventurer, he knew that he had to see what was going on. So he starts kind of squatting down and walking through this bush. It apparently is like a thorn bush, right? And this kid doesn't have his shirt, so he's being super careful. He's not like throwing his arms up and going, wee, wee. He's kind of keeping him close to his buddy and kind of squatting through. And he's walking and then he sees a slide. Not an actual metal slide, but the earth, again, looks like it's been formatted as some sort of slope. Totally man-made. Okay. Begins to crouch through it and go down this slide. He said it had to be about 40 feet going down. 40 feet, you know, gradual slope. And when he gets to the bottom of that, he is now standing in a clearing. There's greenery all around him. Now he's left the beach, which again is only maybe about 40 feet away. And he's in this lush greenery. And he says this was, again, it was a clearing. I'm standing in this clearing. But everything else was covered by plant life, including the sky. There was the canopy of bushes and vines. Maybe not vines. He didn't specify vines. He didn't magically get transported to the lost city of gold in the Yucatan or anything. But he says the, even the sky was blocked out by the greenery. And I'm looking around and it felt like someone had made a home inside of a giant bush. He sees another tunnel leading away from this clearing, and he walks down that. And at that point, he begins to hear voices. Can't tell what they're saying. Can kind of tell where they're coming from. It sounds like they're coming from the end of this tunnel, but... His curiosity is piqued. Right? He's a young boy who goes on adventures all the time. He wants to see... He goes, I wanted to meet the king of the fort. Like, to him, this was some sort of place, some hidden habitat. And there had to be a king, and he was going to meet him. He was going to have so much fun with his new friends. So he's walking through this tunnel that's built into this foliage. And as he's getting towards the end of it, he sees another clearing, a larger clearing. And he sees what he describes as a campfire. But he goes, I, I, I couldn't really say that I saw flames. What I saw was a white, yellow, orange light in this clearing. I assumed it was a campfire. But at this point, he says his recollection begins to become blurry. 
He has a hard time remembering super concrete details, but this is what he does remember. He's looking through this tunnel. He sees the other clearing, and what he sees around it is a group of figures. A group of... He doesn't like using the word people to describe them. He kept putting people in air quotes, or real quotes, because this is typed out, but he wasn't comfortable using the word people. They seemed like something else to him. And at this point is when he begins to feel fear. He was totally enthusiastic about meeting the king of the fort until he gets a glimpse of who is in the clearing. Just a fleeting glimpse, right? Again, he can't specifically say they were human, but this is when fear begins to overtake him. He starts to become terrified and specifically gets the thought that, oh my God, no one's ever going to see me again. And once he comes to that conclusion, once he comes to the conclusion, no one will ever find me again. He actually makes an audible gasp. And the figures turn to face him. He said, one of them began running straight towards me, straight towards the tunnel I was in. And he goes, listen, it looked human. I'm not going to say that they were some sort of alien or monster, but they looked human. Which is a very interesting wiggle word, right? It's like his soul, it's like his senses were telling them they're not human. They may look human, but they're not human. He said this one that's running towards me seems to be holding some sort of long object. He compared it to a staff or a spear. And he said this man was wearing a ceremonial headdress. He goes, the best I can compare it to is a stereotypical headdress of a Native American. He goes, I'm watching this guy run towards me. He's angry. He's running towards me. I'm standing in this tunnel. I turn and I run as fast as I can. I get to that first clearing and then I realize that it's a 40-foot ascent, right? Up this slide, up this slope. And that tunnel is smaller. It's full of thorns. And this young boy with no shirt begins to run up this slope as best as he can, squatting when he can. But the bramble is scratching him, poking him, cutting him, leaving thin rivers of blood dripping out of the wounds across his body. He finally gets to the top of the tunnel, bursts out of the clearing, and at this point he's standing on the top of this sand dune. And he sees an older couple walking down on the beach. Now he feels like this pursuer, the king of the fort, is right behind him. He doesn't turn to look. He just begins to run down the sand dune, screaming at the top of his lungs, waving his hands, looking for any sort of help. This is like, <laughs> you're at the beach, and turn to a change viewpoint. You're at the beach with your lovely wife, and all of a sudden, a bloody eight-year-old boy comes bursting out of the bushes, running and probably rolling down a sand dune, screaming about something was chasing him. What he figured, he goes, I... The, the, way that, the way that I was so scared, the way that everything was going on, he goes, realistically, I was in the bushes for about five minutes. But the whole ordeal felt like it took a half hour. I know I wasn't in there for a half hour, but I, I just that was a level of fear that I hadn't ever 
come across. Like you're being pursued by something in an area you're not familiar with. Running up the slope or getting cut up and stuff like that. You know, it's the theory of relativity. Put your hot hand on a stove. A second feels like a minute. Finally, he's reunited with his parents. They are furious. Furious. He'd been missing for almost three hours. You know, he left them like he always does. He goes off on these little exploring adventures. It took him a while to realize that he hadn't come back. It's been a little bit longer. They're vacationing in this area. He doesn't know the environment. And once they started looking for him, they began walking up and down the beach looking for him. For over two hours, the search continued. Until finally, they found each other. And when he told his parents what happened about the bush, about the man, they didn't believe him. They 100% thought he was making it up because he knew he was in trouble for being gone so long. And he couldn't figure that out. He was only gone for five minutes. He knew it wasn't that long. Well, he knew it definitely wasn't a couple hours, right? He said it felt like 30 minutes. I think it was really only five minutes. They were telling me I was gone for hours. That's not how it happened. He goes, I just don't really know what to make make of this whole experience. You know, this happened back in 2002. He's posting about it 20 years later. He goes, I really just don't know what to think about the whole thing. It happened. It was real. But what was it? And he goes, I've even been back to Martha's Vineyard multiple times since. Couldn't find the clearing. Couldn't find the tunnel. Couldn't find it. Such an interesting story, right? A lot of people online, when they were talking about this, trying to tell Sweaty, uh, maybe it was the Fae, right? Maybe it was this fairy. I don't like the, I don't like the Fae stuff. I just think it's kind of boring. The Fae, right? They're abducting children. They're holding spears and chasing children through the bushes. I'm all boring. <laughs> they have a bunch of tied up kids. I was like, ah, if you guys were abducted by aliens, then I'd save you. Fae, right? People are saying maybe it was the Fae. I think they're only getting that because those dummies live in bushes, too. Some people thought they could have actually been humans, like actual Native Americans still living in the bushes around Martha's Vineyard, which actually sounds less plausible than the Fae. I, I did an episode a long time ago. I, I don't remember what episode it was, but I said I do think there probably is America so big. There might be one or two lost tribes in America that we've just never stumbled across. I, I actually think I said... There might be a lost group of pilgrims somewhere in the middle of the United States. Like a straight up uh, little house on the prairie town of maybe like 23 people or whatever. In the middle of some godforsaken wilderness. Doing just fine, right? But we don't know that they're there. There's places in America that have never been explored. But Martha's Vineyard, right on the coastline, it's less likely that it would be in a tourist destination like Martha's Vineyard. But possible, right? Could have been humans. But remember, he wasn't describing them as humans. They were human-like. They were quote-unquote people. Interdimensional, maybe. Maybe they were people, but it was some sort of time distortion. The fact that, even let's say that it was some sort of like, he traveled back in time. The fact that the bushes were kind of like, the tunnel was made into the bushes, that... I, I, even I don't know how to classify this. 
Because if it was a time travel thing, he would have just walked around the corner and saw a bunch of Native Americans standing there, and they're like, hey, what's up? And then they, they chase it with the spear. Um, the fact that it was a tunnel, it was almost like it was leading him down this passageway, right? It was like almost like a hidden gateway into someplace he shouldn't be. You're like, yeah, Jason, the fairies do that. I don't want to talk about fairies, man. I don't think it's fairies. But what, what some sort of nature spirit that has wings and they have little wands and stuff like that and they grant wishes. Forget the fairies. Forget the fairies. Forget the fae. Could be. You know, here's this. I'll tell you exactly this. When I read the story the very first time, I thought, the first thing that popped in my head was they were real people and it was a cult. It was like a Mithras cult. It was like this old religion that's been long wiped from the history books, but yet people still worship this deity. That's what I, That was the feeling I got from it right away. Was that they were people. Like, the fact that he was having things like a blurry memory, the fact that he didn't actually say they were human. A lot of that stuff I chalk up to him being eight, right? And it being terrified. I was reading it, I think, let's look at it rationally, right? Um, Martha's Vineyard, bunch of rich people, the elite, right, who worship these old gods, who follow these pagan ways, are having a retreat in the bush. <laughs> okay, that sounds kind of tough, too, because everyone's like, hey, hey, George Soros, where are you going? He's like, oh, I got some business in the bushes, and they're like, what are you doing? And then you see this old dude like crawl. He's squatting down. He's squatting down. He's crawling through the ramble. You hear him all ow, ooh, ow, ow. People are like, "What? That's super weird." I saw I saw a couple of Rothschilds and a couple of Rockefellers going there. What? <laughs> Why is Jeff Bezos taking his shirt off to go down that slide into that bush? Okay, so maybe the best place for the elite to meet to worship an old pagan lord probably isn't in a bunch of thorn bushes straight off of a beach at Martha's Vineyard. But that was the first the first idea that I had, was that not that I wanted to see Jeff Bezos with no shirt on getting scratched up. It was that I thought this was human. It was some old cult. Or, or, or old religion, but new followers type of thing. That was the feeling I got. But whether it's... Something cool, like my idea, like my totally awesome idea that it's a cult. Or something lame, like the Fae. The f point is, is that it's creepy. Because it touches on all of our fears, right? The idea that you can go missing at any point, like he thought, I'll never be seen again. And we cover so many stories where people just disappear, missing 411, that's pretty much all they talk about. The idea that you or one of your loved ones could walk outside and they're just never being seen again is terrifying. But it also touches on the fear of the other, right? This group holding these secret ceremonies just out of view. And us normal people who go about our lives, we don't realize that just, you know, maybe 500 yards underneath us or 60 feet away in the bushes, or maybe in your own attic, maybe in your own attic, there are these secret rituals going on. There's these gatherings. There are these ceremonies taking place. We're just completely oblivious to it. It's creepy to think that these things may exist and that this boy came across one of these and 
probably did just barely escape. This story could have easily ended. Well, it wouldn't have been a story, right? We never would have, out here on the West Coast, maybe we would have covered a story about a little boy who went missing back in 2002 at Martha's Vineyard, right? Maybe. Could just be one of many missing persons cases that happen, and everyone but the family and friends of the victim just forget about it and move on. Whether the story is paranormal, conspiracy, or true crime, right? It could have been any of those three, or all. It's still a reminder that as much as we want to believe it, we are not. We are not the masters of the domain. We are not the rulers of the earth. We're simply bystanders. Participants. We don't make the rules. We only follow them. That is the way of this world. Whether we like it or not. You can only hope that if you ever come across a situation where you're confronted by a king of the fort, you also can outrun him. Whether it's trying to find your way through a tunnel in a clearing of bushes, or booking it down a dark street as shadowy agents follow your every move. Whether it's standing at a bus stop late at night, And you can sense eyes staring at you from the alleyway across the street. Or you're simply sleeping in your bed. And you have no knowledge that some dark cult. Or some malignant entity has chosen you as its next sacrifice. The only thing you can hope for, the only thing any of us can hope for, is that when our time comes, when we are put in a situation where we are confronted by this type of oppressor, the only thing we can hope for if we're ever put in such a dire circumstance, whether we looked for it or not, whether we went exploring in the bushes or in the safety of our own home, we can only hope that we survive to tell the tale. DeadRabbitRadio at gmail.com is going to be our email address. You can also hit us up at facebook.com slash deadrabbitradio. TikTok is at deadrabbitradio. Dead Rabbit Radio is the daily paranormal conspiracy and true crime podcast. You don't have to listen to it every day, but I'm so glad you listened to it today. Have a great weekend, guys. Deadrabbitradio.com